Brethren, at this time, we are blessed to have our second message for today by Mr. David Antion. Follow Jesus and don't be led astray. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So good to see you. I'm, I'm honored and I'm humbled that some of you came so far to be here with us today. Like as I was talking to Lawrence, he said, this is not our ordinary crowd. <laughs> it's a peculiar crowd, but it's not ordinary. <laughs> Anyhow, um, thank you for coming. Some of you came from uh, pretty far away, a couple of hours drive, and uh, Oklahoma City and uh, beyond. And some people came further than that. So thank you. Uh, I want to thank Steve Andrews, present pastor of the church, and his wife Miriam. When I talked to them uh, about coming here uh, on July 19th, they said, yeah, that would be great. And uh, Miriam said, we'll have a potluck. And I said, yeah, really? And she said, yeah, well, we're going to do that. We'll, we'll get things ready for a, a service here for you and all that. So. What a wonderful thing. And then Lawrence Gregory, I talked to him, and he said, yes, well, come on in, we're ready. And of course, Lawrence says, give me the title of your sermon and your seminar. <laughs> so uh, we got that out. Anyhow, it was wonderful. I have to, I want to tell you, Lawrence Gregory has been one of the most stable, sound pastors of a church. He has kept this church together for so many years. And uh, you guys who have him as a pastor have been blessed to have him. So, Lawrence Gregory. Now he's, now he's passed the torch on to Stephen Andrews, and uh, I am sure it's in capable hands, and you guys are going to all pitch in. But, you know, it takes more than just a pastor. No, no pastor can run a church. You have to have all the people that are served, all the people that help, all the volunteers, all the people who attend. That's what makes the church. And so you've been very blessed here. And what a wonderful building this is. You have a wonderful building to do it. I notice they have things on Sunday. They have things on Monday. They can have things on Tuesday because they have the building. We can't do that in Pasadena because we, we, we rent a church. And the church meets on Sunday. We meet on Sabbath. So we rent their church. So we, we don't have that opportunity. We can't have a church, a church building. So I'm very humbled uh, and honored that you have uh, come this far. Uh, I want to tell you about, uh, I think you got an email from me that Noni McVeigh, we've been praying for her. She was, she was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer over a year and a half ago. She was given six months to live. She made it a year and a half. And uh, she died. And the funeral will be, the memorial service will be uh, next Tuesday. And it'll be up in Carmel. So we're getting home on Thursday. We're going to go to Texas and visit Molly's sister and another sister-in-law, two widows, uh, the widow of Garner Ted Armstrong and the widow of Tony Hammer. We're visiting with them. And then we will head back to Pasadena. We'll get there on Thursday, next, this, this coming next week. And then we go back to Carmel on Monday, and Molly said, man, we're acting like we're young. <laughs> uh, 
And I said, well, don't you remember the Oklahoma days? Don't you remember what Oklahoma days? You know, we, we, we went from, you know, from Ardmore to Enid, from, uh, from Fort Smith to Amarillo. Uh, I said, we, we covered that whole state. We used to have Bible studies in Fort Smith. Sometimes we had Bible studies in Amarillo. We went all over the state. Drove over 40,000 miles a year here in the state of, of uh, Oklahoma. I said, yeah, we've been all the, all the little towns and nooks and crannies, Siloam Springs and all these places. Yes, Bartlesville and, and all, you know, all these, Nowada and Wetumpka and <laughs> places like that, Wilika. And even we woke up, we went there. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we've been all, I said, we, we drove here and there. How many of you, how many of you know what I mean when I say, how many of you have been to a building at Fifth and Cheyenne here in Tulsa? Fifth and Cheyenne, what was that? It was the YWCA, right? Where we had services, Fifth and Cheyenne. Uh, there's still a parking lot across the street there. That's, that old parking lot is still there. But the uh, YWCA, I guess, is not. They built another building there. They're tearing down downtown Tulsa. Yeah, we, uh, we have wonderful remembrances from 1960 to 65, and we made lifelong friends uh, during those years. Many times after Stephen was born, our son, we, uh, you know, I, I couldn't drag Molly up here all the time, so I would come up for a Thursday night Bible study in Tulsa, and I would leave after Bible study and fellowship with people. I'd visit during the day and have Bible study that night. And then I would leave and drive back to Oklahoma City and get in rather late. And I remember listening to uh, Sleepwalkers, uh, the Sleepwalker show from KVOO. <coughs> All the cities I go to, especially if they have a significant radio station, I love to hear their, their voice. KVOO, the voice of Oklahoma in Tulsa. That's what they used to say. And I would listen to that all the way home. In those days, we didn't have the CDs, we didn't have the DVDs, we didn't have little tape recorders, and those, you didn't have any of that. So I listened to the radio all the way home. And uh, then many times on Sabbath, then I would get up and drive back here, because Molly had a little baby, and I just want to drag Stephen and Molly around. So we would have different men from Oklahoma, a city that would come up with me. And uh, Art Hewlett uh, did a number of times. Where are you, Art? He's here, he's still there. Uh, Art would come up uh, with me and drive. Uh, we'd get early morning, we'd come up here and have services and drive back to Oklahoma City. Yeah, those were the days. And uh, they're gone now, but uh, they, they, were, they were foundational days. We are going to have the Feast of Tabernacles, Guardian Ministry sponsoring it in Squaw Valley one more time at least. Uh, this year, Squaw Valley, California. And if you've never been to Squaw Valley, you really owe it to yourself to be there, but it's a long way from here, I understand that. And it's, but it's beautiful, it's lovely, and we hope to have a bang up feast again this year at Squaw Valley. Um, I think that, I wanna thank everybody. Oh. Another person to pray for, I pray for Noni's family, I pray for her husband who's our webmaster on our uh, Guardian Ministries website. And then for Rosemary King, her, her husband Richard, she has several daughters. Her daughter called me during uh, our 
time coming here, Rodder called me and said, uh, Rosemary's been battling cancer of the intestine. She'd already had an operation. They thought they got it. They came back. It's, and now her daughter said uh, they, they can't do anything more. And they've given her two weeks. They think she will not live more than two weeks. She's been praying. I've prayed with her on the phone. We've prayed with her time and again. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a t t title of a different sermon, you know, the afflictions that we face. You face afflictions, every one of you, of some sort or another. You're not going to get out of it. Some affliction is going to take place. We live in these mortal bodies, and sooner or later, that weakness, something happens. We're made to die. We are in this mortal body. But we learn things as we go along. And uh, we prayed deeply for Rosemary King. And uh, her daughter said the worst part was that they did not tell her. And no, she doesn't even know yet that they gave her two weeks. So God willing, by now they, they have, and <clears throat> it's very sad. All right, uh, we have these sad things, but the feast is still joyous. You know, when we go to the feast, what do we do? What do we do? We rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Because we're before God, right? Now you're before God at any time. You want to be in his throne. But as a group, when you see the brethren, when you're with people, you rejoice. You can't help it. You rejoice to see one another. You rejoice to be with one another. I recently read a uh, statement of beliefs by a church in Oklahoma City. And they uh, pretty much talked about the Sabbath. They said the seventh day, the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. That it was a day, a perpetual covenant between God and man, a perpetual holy day that God gave mankind. It was made when mankind was made. They said that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. His apostles and his disciples observed the Sabbath. They said they observed the Sabbath for the first century and even up into the fourth century before it was outlawed by Constantine and at the Council of Laodicea. Now Constantine, you know, in 321, Constantine was the ruler. He was, he was the emperor of Rome. And he uh, became a Christian. At that time he had people, non-Christians and Christians, and he decided that Christians and non-Christians were going to get together and the way we're going to combine them is that they're both going to observe the venerable, venerable day of the sun. The day on which they worship the sun god, which was the first day of the week. He was going to combine them and that's what they did. Later on they had the Council of Laodicea. And the Council of Laodicea put out a bunch of canons. They called them canons. They were, a canon is a little statement of beliefs or directions and directives given to the church and, and orders. They're kind of orders. Here's one, canon number seven. This is the Council of Laodicea, canon number seven. Persons converted from heresies, that is, from the no, Novatians, the Photinians, 
and the Quartodecimans. Now the Novatians were a guy by the name of Novatus. He was a very good scholar and everything. And for a while, he became the pope. He, he was like a pope. But then another guy pushed him out, and they said, you don't follow him anymore. That this, is the, this is the real church, and that Novatus is not the good, the good leader. Don't follow Novatus. Photinus was a guy who did not believe Jesus was divine, did not believe Jesus was deity. So, the, you know, he was a heretic. The Quartodecimans. They were the people who observed the Passover on the 14th day of the Hebrew first month. And so they're heretics. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And so they said, uh, these heretics, whether they are, they call them catechumens, which, were, which meant they were learners, they were students. Whether they were students or communicants or whether they were teachers, they must denounce their, their heresies. They must be anathematized from every heresy, particularly that in which they were held. So, first thing we got to do is with these heretics is they've got to anathematize. Canon number seven, I mean number 20. This is, this is how foolish they got. Canon number 20 goes like, it's not right for a deacon to sit in the presence of a presbyter. You know what that means? Presbyter, an elder. It's not right for a deacon to sit in the presence of an elder. He's got to stand up. Deacons cannot sit down if an elder is sitting down. He's got to stand. Unless he is bidden by the presbyter to sit down. So if, 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 you know, hey, sit down. But he's got to stand. That's, a, that's one of the canons that they put in the Council of Laodicea. Likewise, it says the deacons shall have, shall have worship of the subdeacons. So if you're a subdeacon, you're supposed to bow and scrape to the deacon. That was part of the canon. Canon number 20, 21. The subdeacons have no right to a place in the diaconum. So they, they can't sit with the deacons. If you're a subdeacon, you don't have any right to go in there, nor to touch the Lord's vessels. So here again, they're, they're so structured. So here's canon number 28. It is not permitted to hold love feasts, as they are called, in the Lord's houses or churches, nor to sit and eat or to spread couches in the Lord's house. So what we're going to do today, that's not permitted. They outlawed that on canon number 28 of the Council of Laodicea. Here's the, here's the rub, canon number 29. Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath but must work on that day. It wasn't that you just couldn't rest. You must not work on that day. I mean, you must work, I'm sorry. You can't, it's not just that you can't rest. You must, in, in fact, work, get out and work on that day. Break the Sabbath. Rather, honoring the Lord's day, which they called, you know, the venerable day of the sun, and if they can, they should rest uh, then. Rest on the Lord's day as Christians. But if any shall be found to be Judaizers, you're going to rest on the Sabbath, let them be anathema from Christ. Anathema means you're cut off. You're cut off from the church. You're cut off. And of course now when Constantine, who had the power of the state, 
he could now come back and utilize the power of the state to enforce what they put in these canons. Canon number 37, it's not lawful to receive portions from the feasts of the Jews or heretics, nor to feast with them. So if a person's heretic, he can't sit down with them, he can't feast with them. Canon number 38, it is not lawful. These are all part of the Council of Laodicea, 325 BC, AD. It is not lawful to receive unleavened bread from the Jews. Here's a piece of unleavened bread. No, I, I can't take it. Can't take, can't take that because it's not lawful. Nor to be partakers of their impiety. So they wanted a complete break. Jews, Jew, anything Jewish, anything from the Old Testament, anything that, 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 that Jesus did. Think of this. Anything that Jesus did, you can't do. From the Sabbath to the holy days, the days of unleavened bread. Did Jesus keep the days of unleavened bread? Yeah. Did he eat unleavened bread? Yes. You can't do it if, you're, if you listen to what the council of Laodicea said. Now, when I read this statement of beliefs from a church in Oklahoma City, it would, so far as I read it, it was fine, you know, that the Sabbath was made for man, that it was fine, and it was the day which Christians kept, Jesus kept it, the disciples kept it. But then there was a strange statement. In a statement of beliefs, it was written like this, that the Sabbath day was the seventh day and that there was no other one. But here's the incredible statement. Quote, there is no scriptural mandate for a specific day of worship. Now, let me ask the question. Can you worship God tomorrow? Can you worship God on Monday? Can you worship God any day of the week? Yes, yes that's correct. You as a person, as an individual, can worship God any day you want, any place you want. Any place you want. Can you worship God in a tent? Yes. Can you worship God uh, sitting by a riverside? Yes. Can you worship God in an elevator? Yeah, you can worship God anywhere you want as an individual. But this said, there is no scriptural mandate for a specific day of worship. No, not if, not if you're an individual. But let's go back to Jesus' day. Suppose we see Jesus Christ walking along. There's Jesus, okay? Hey, I'm going to follow him for a little bit. Where is he going? Where is Jesus going? I'm going to follow him. It's Sabbath. It's Saturday, the seventh day of the week. Where's Jesus going? I'm going to follow him. And this is what we would see. This is what we would, then this is because we read it here in the book of Luke, chapter 4, and beginning in verse 16. Here's what we see. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... As was his custom, he entered the synagogue in the place of assembly, and that's what that means. The synagogue was the place of assembly. Synagogue meant the place to assemble. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. 
and they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he handed him, and he opened it to the book, and he found the place where it was written. He began, and so this is what he does. As was his custom. What's that mean, as was his custom? In the book of Acts, chapter 17, we read this. Now, when they were traveling through Amphilippus and Polonia, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom. Now, when you say something is according to your custom, what, what do you mean according to your custom? The Greek word means to maintain a custom or a tradition, to be accustomed to do something. It means, if I said, this is what he usually does. What does Jesus usually do on the synagogue? He usually goes to church, to the synagogue. That's where he does, on the Sabbath. He usually, that's what he usually does. Where does Paul go? As was Paul's customary thing to do, he gets into a group, and so it's a Sabbath day. What does Paul do on the Sabbaths? According, so in verse 2 of Acts 17, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. As his custom was. Now, in the New Testament, you have the word, Jesus went to a synagogue. That's the place of assembly, where they assembled together. When the New Testament started talking about an assembly, it changed the word from synagogue, from the, for the most part, to the word ecclesia. Ecclesia means an assembly, a place of assembly. Just virtually the same word, same meaning as synagogue, but it changed it to the assembly. The same word is used of all the Roman towns where they had a, a county council, an assembly of people. They would come, come on into the assembly. Except there's one place in the New Testament that still used the word synagogue. And it's in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what James wrote. For if a man comes into your assembly, but the Greek word is synagogue, synagogue, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and James, that's verse 2, but James goes on to say, you know, what you're going to do is you tell the poor man with the dirty clothes, get over there, and the good man with the nice clean clothes, come on over here and have a nice seat, and you, yeah, your dirty clothes, go sit over there. He said, that's not right. It's not right to be partial. He's telling, telling the brethren. If a man comes into your synagogue, your synagogue, what were they keeping? What were they doing? Where were they? As was his custom. You notice the, the, the same word is used in Mark chapter 10. I'm reading from the McDonald idiomatic translation. It goes like this. Mark 10 verse 1. Then he departed from there and he went to the region of the southern province and to the district across the Jordan to the east. And again the crowds gathered around him. And as he customarily did, he taught them. He continued to teach him. 
or as it reads in the New American Standard, he set out from them there and he went to the district of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds gathered around him and as was his custom, he again taught them. What did Jesus do when crowds came around him? What was his customary thing to do? He taught. What was his customary thing to do on the Sabbath? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 15. Again, you hear this word custom is used. Matthew 27, 15. Now at the time of the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. I'll read that in the New English translation. During the feast, the governor was accustomed, used to do it, custom, accustomed, as was his custom, to release any person. So again, what do you usually do on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do? You follow him. Where is he going to go on the Sabbath? He's going to go to the synagogue, place of assembly. Now you'll remember a little story here in the book of Matthew chapter 12. The disciples on the Sabbath were cutting across, they were going through the grain fields. They didn't walk the regular roads. You know, do you ever cut across, you ever see something, you know, I'm, I could go all the way around this way, or I could cut across and go through this field. Let's cut across and go through this field. So they're walking on the Sabbath through this field, okay? He comes along, they walk in, the disciples are hungry. So they take some of the heads of the grain, rip them off the little, you know, their, their heads, and they shuck them like this. Do you ever... You, you, you all know wheat. If there's any place that knows wheat, it's Oklahomans, right? Wheat. You, know, you, you just grab a handful of wheat and you go like this and you get the wheat berries and they throw them in their mouth. And by the way, wheat berries are very nice in your mouth. Used to take some of them hunting and I put a bunch of them in my mouth. You got to wash them and swallow them, get one down your windpipe. But if you yeah, put them in your mouth and hold them, then that your saliva softens them. A very nice little snack, brings up your blood sugar, it's really great for you. It's got all the grains and all the wonderful, the wheat germ, the wheat germ oil, all of this is wonderful. Okay, so you throw them, so the disciples come, it could be a barley field, it could have been a wheat field, it could have been a rye field, and they pick some up and they go like this. Well, what do the, what do the Pharisees say? Hey, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're reaping. Now, that's how... Silly they got, you know, you just pick up a thing for yourself and, and now all of a sudden you're, you're accused of reaping. Well, Jesus said, you know, I, haven't you read what David and his men did when they went into the, to the temple and they got, took the showbread, which is not lawful for them to eat, only for the priests, and they ate it? Or in verse 5, I'm beginning now in verse 5, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. That is, they work on the Sabbath because they've got to do all these things that they have to do. They, they have to work. I suppose you would consider work. For me, Sabbath day was a work day years ago in Oklahoma. I drove from, from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, Tulsa back to Oklahoma, preached up here, preached down there. I was tired. When sunset came, I was tired. But I say to you, something greater than 
the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, Jesus said, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would, have not have you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, that's verse eight. Read verse nine. Where was Jesus going on the Sabbath across those wheat fields or rye fields? Verse nine. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. Where was he going? Why were they cutting across? They were going through the fields. They were on their way to the synagogue. But they happened to pick some of the Pharisees. Oh, you're doing what's not lawful. He left the fields. They, they, when they went out of the fields, Jesus said, you know what? You know, I wish you'd know what this means. I, I would have mercy and not and not sacrifice. And you would not have condemned the innocent. And he went straight, leaving there, he went, where did he go? Went to the synagogue. What day was it? It was a Sabbath day. Now, why would Jesus go, why would he assemble on the Sabbath day? Why? Why would you assemble? This said, there's no mandate. To, to assemble on the Sabbath day, mandate for worship on the Sabbath day. Well, no, you can worship any day of the week. Of course you can. We understand that. Personal worship. But when you have a congregation come together, what day was the day that God wanted us to do it on? Well, let's read Leviticus chapter 23. Because the person that wrote this evidently did not read chapter 23 of Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. The Eternal spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Eternal's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. What's the very first appointed time for a convo convocation to convoke? Means a call to assembly. Convoke means calling you to an assembly. What's the first one? Six days, for six days work may be done. But on the Sabbath day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. Now, I've given sermons before, I won't take time here, but I'll explain the word holy. Holy, people think it means, oh, it's, it's so beautiful, it's, you, you can't touch it, it's, it's so pure, you know, holy, you know. What, what does the Bible mean when it means holy? Do you know how many things were holy in the Bible? You had a holy mitre, the holy linen cloth, the holy vessels. This was holy, that was holy, these were holy. What does that mean? It means when you say something is holy that it is fit for the worship service of God. You are holy. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, says the book of Hebrews. You brethren are holy. The Sabbath is what? A holy convocation. 
It's the holy... It, now, here's the other thing. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, remember God had to give the Ten Commandments? What's the tenth? What's the Fourth Commandments? Remember the Sabbath to do what? Keep it holy. Now, what does that mean? Keep it as the day of congregational worship. Can you worship any day? Yes. What's the day for congregational worship? When we all get together and we praise God. What day is that? The seventh day Sabbath. That's the day that you keep, that's kept for holiness for the congregation to get together and praise God. Six days may be done, work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath of the eternal, your God, and all your dwellings. So that day is the day of convocation. You know, they, they called people. People think, oh, you want to have a convocation? They called you. And he had to have them remember it because, you know, you know in, in, in the time of the Egyptian slavery, the, the people lost it. They lost the Sabbath. They couldn't remember it. If you're a slave, tell me how many people as a slave say, sorry, I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath, I, I can't work. Bang, shoot, you know, chop your head off, you know, beat you up, you know. You, you don't have any choice. You get out there and you work. So they lost the Sabbath. That's why God, when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, had that, you know, they, they had to collect the, the, the manna. The manna was this day. He said, I'm going to give you the Sabbath. And so he kept reminding them, don't go out on the seventh day because there won't be any manna. There's going to be twice as much on the sixth day, but none on the seventh day. Well, they had to go out. I have to go out and look. Is there any? No, there's none. They had to do it. You know, just curious. But on the seventh, sixth day, they got twice as much. And they tried to gather more than one day. And by the way, that's where we get the expression, Jesus' prayer. When we say the Lord's, we quote the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. That's where you get it. It's from that manna. Every day they got enough for that day. If they tried to gather more than the day, what, what would happen to it? It rotted, it stank, it's, it's not good, Don't, it's spoiled already. But on the seventh, the sixth day, they could get twice as much, and it did not. They had it over the Sabbath. So God was training them which day is the Sabbath. So after he trained them, and he brings them to the Mount Sinai, and he gives them this commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You've got to preserve that as the congregant day of worship to God. Because we know we can worship God any day. You can worship God any day. We know that. That's no trick. That's no, that's, no not, that's no news. Did anybody think you can't worship God on Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday? What? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. We can worship. We get on our knees and we bow before God and worship him any day. The congregation comes together on what day usually? The Sabbath day. What would Jesus go? He'd be looking for us. You had in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, they, 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 they hammered out 
silver trumpets. You know, there are two different kinds of trumpets. One with a shofar, that's the ram's horn, has a big long, has a big uh, ominous sound to it, you know. And usually it, 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 it was invasion or the sound of war, we gotta get ready. It's a warning. It also was a call. But they also had these silver trumpets that they hammered out of silver, and they were used in Numbers chapter 10, beginning in verse two, make yourself these silver trumpets and use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. And when they're blown to the congregation, they shall gather at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Yet, if only one is blown, then the leaders come. And if two are blown, then the rest of the congregation come. It's, you know, it's telling you how to convoke, how to, how to be here. It's the call to assembly. Come on, it's the time. So that's what they did. Now, I want to show you what a lot of people use. They'll, they'll turn to this scripture, and they will use Isaiah chapter 1 and Amos chapter 5. I'm not going to read Amos chapter 5 because I don't want to take too much time. I want, I want to read Isaiah 1. Read it with me and, uh, and understand what it says. Don't be afraid of it in our former organization. We're afraid of this scripture. Oh no, it, it looks like it's doing away with uh, God's days. It's doing away with the Sabbath, the holy days, assemblies. Oh no, it's looking... It isn't. But read from God's point of view what he's talking about. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of the eternal, you rulers of Sodom. Well, Sodom is long gone. Sodom was a metaphor, and God is calling Israel Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's calling them names here. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Were sacrifices ordained in the Old Testament? Yeah, says the Eternal. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. Yet those were commanded offerings. Under the Levitical priesthood, these were commanded offerings. And God is saying through Isaiah, I don't take any pleasure. I'm sick of it. I've had enough. Blood, bulls, and goats. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who requires of this the trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Yet, you remember what they had to do on the day of the day? They had to have the incense. Remember, they put it in the incense and they had to smoke it. You know, the, the, the high priest had to have all the incense. I don't want to see the incense, God is saying. I hate it. Okay? Ah, don't bring your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination. The new moon and the Sabbath and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure it. I cannot endure iniquity. Listen to this phrase. This is very important. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. That's what God is saying. I can't take it, he says. You come before me on the Sabbath. I can't endure this iniquity. And, and then you bring together the solemn assembly. Now what does he mean? Listen to verse 14. 
I hate your new moon festivals. They celebrated the new moon. The Feast of Trumpets is the first holy day that's a new moon. I hate your festivals, your new moon festivals. I hate your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So some people say, well, see there, God hates them. They're done away with. We don't have them anymore. We're just doing away with all. God hates these th th feasts. He, he says right here, I've seen, I've seen commentators, people who are supposed to be scholars who use this and say the holy days are done away, the Sabbath's done away. But, but it's very important for us to understand what God is talking about. I hate your new moon festivals. I hate your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Verse 15, so when you spread out your hands, and the New American Standard Version adds in the italics, in prayer. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Is prayer done away? Do we stop praying now? Nobody should pray anymore because God doesn't want it. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, he says. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. In other words, go after the, the, the criminals. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. You see, when you come before God in your own private prayer, when you come before God in an assembly of the, of the righteous, when we assemble, and your hands are evil. You've cheated people. You've lied. You've connived. You've hurt people through your, your bad deeds. When you have done that, you're ruthless. You aggravate God. The Sabbaths are supposed to be such a delight to God. Because God's people come together. They love God. They live a righteous life as much as possible. They're striving to do right. They're repenting of evil. They come before God and they throw their hands up in praise and glory to God. They lift their voices in praise and song to God. It's supposed to be a sweet smelling savor to God. God just loves it. But suppose the congregation and the group that comes before God is filled with iniquity. It's filled with underhanded, conniving, ruthless, hateful ways of life, then God is not only not pleased, God is aggravated. The Sabbath day is a wonderful day, but it aggravates God if our hands are not good, if our lives are not right. Because take a look at this passage. See, God is not doing away with the Sabbath or the holy days. He's condemning using them to worship him when your heart is not right with him. Don't use the Sabbath day to worship God if your heart is not right. That aggravates God. Prayer aggravates God. 
Listen to Proverbs chapter 28. A, a very powerful scripture. Proverbs 28 verse 9. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. I don't want to hear God's law. I don't want to hear it. Even his prayer is an abomination. Now you know how much we like to pray. You know that we're supposed to pray. You know that you want to pray. You know that we like to pray. But even his prayer is hateful to God. It's an abomination, an effrontery. You get on your knees and pray. You use the Sabbath and the holy days, but then you, your, your hands are filled with blood. You, you cheat widows out of their, or their, their, out of their property. You cheat the orphan out of his inheritance. You do these things, and, and you come before God, and you say you're fine. It's what he's condemning Israel for. God hates that. He hates something else. I want to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. You know, he praises the church at Ephesus. Church of Ephesus. I know your works. You're good. You're this. You're this. You're this. You know, the only, the main thing of Ephesus, he said, you just, you know what you did? I have one thing against you. You don't love me like you did. You don't love me like you did. But for the most part, the church at Ephesus is really praised. I know your deeds, I know your works, I know your, how, how you endure, I know that you keep on going, I know, I know all these things about you. But then after he tells them, he said, you better repent of this, you better repent of what you're doing here, you know, you don't love me like you did at first. And then he says to them, but you know what, you do have this too on your side. You know, he's talking to the ledger, you know. You have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We both hate it. You hate it, and I hate them. The deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, who, who are the Nicolaitans? What was their doctrine? Lots of speculation on that. Uh, however, the Nicolaitans didn't write a statement of beliefs, so we don't really know all their, their, their doctrine. I, I never got a copy of that, so it's pretty tough to to do it, and most people don't. But we can get some clues from Scripture. You know, there were some people who thought that Nicholas, of the book of uh, Acts, chapter 6 and verse 5, there's a list of, of the deacons that were uh, ordained. Stephen was a man of faith. There was Philip. There was Proctorus. There was Nacor. There was Timon. There was Parmenas. There was Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Some people think that Nicholas went off and he founded the Nicolaitans and that he was a ruler. Because the word Nicholas has to do with rulership. He's in, in, in the word like you're a lord, you're a, you know, Baal is a, is a uh, word for lord. So a ruler or destroyer of the people, that's what some people think. But I, I think it's even more interesting than that. Because the book of Revelation in, in the next uh, couple of churches talk about, especially the church at Pergamum, he talks about... Uh, the Nicolaitans are mentioned here, but look along with who else is mentioned. Chapter 2 of Revelation, dropping down to verse 12. And to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, 
And you hold fast my name, and you have not denied my faith, even to the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, the faithful one who, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I mean, man, you talk about a church that was persecuted. The Pergamos church was persecuted. They had somebody come in and kill one of their leaders. Kill them! That's what the rest of you will get if you keep on, you know, observing the Sabbath or this. I mean, this, this is what they did. They killed them. But I have a few things against you. He's talking to the church at Pergamos. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication or acts of immorality. Verse 15. So you also have some in the same way who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay. He hates the Nicolaitans. The Ephesus church hated the Nicolaitans. Now, the Pergamos church, you have them who hold the teaching of Balaam. In the same way, you have people holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. In the same way. Let's go to chapter 2, dropping down to verse 20. Now you come to the church of Thyatira, and he talks about them, and he says this, I have this against you, verse 20, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things offered to idols. Notice the same wording. Commit acts of immorality. Eat things offered to idols. There for Thyatira. Balaam, you have the teaching of Balaam to teach the people to commit acts of immorality, to eat things sacrificed to idols. And in the same way you hold the teaching of Nicolaitans. To understand this completely, you have to understand Balaam. Who was Balaam? What did he do? Make sure that people hear this. Balaam was a prophet. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they come running through the land. They come through the land of the Amorites, and boy, the Amorites are not going to accept them, and they just slaughtered the Amorites. Now they're on their way through Moab, the area of Moab and Ammon. And the king of Moab, he, he sees this. Oh, they're coming, they're numerous, they're huge, they got this big army, they're, they're powerful, and he's heard their God destroyed Egypt. Man, what can I do? So he goes to, all of a sudden, a guy appears out of nowhere. Chapter 22 of the book of Numbers, his name is Balaam. They go to Balaam. Hey, Balaam, can you do us a favor, pal? I got some money here we're going to send. And you see in chapter 22 and verse, and verse 7, Look at chapter 22, verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees, that's from the New American Standard, with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. In other words, we would like for you, here's a sum of money, to curse those people. Well, Balaam says, you know what, I'll tell you what. I'd like to curse him for you, but I can't do anything what God, unless God tells me to do it. 
So I'm going to check with God, and if God lets me curse him, I'll curse him for you. Because, you know, you've got a sum of money here, so I'll, I'll, I'll curse him for you. So he casts God. God says, uh-uh, you can't curse these people. They're blessed. They're my people. They're blessed. They're holy people. You can't curse them. Oh, Balaam, darn. Um, I, had a, I had a good shot and a lot of money. So Balaam goes, he says, look, I can't do it. Can't do it. I can only do what God tells me to do. God doesn't want me to curse him. So Balak, he, he doesn't give up very easy. He says, you know, I tell you what, you can't curse him. Come over here. Come up to this mountain and look down. There they are. See them there? Can you curse them from here? Balaam says, you know what? Um, and so he calls Balaam. Balaam says, I'll, I'll come up. Balak says, come on up. Remember, he gets on the donkey. He's going up, and he's whipping that donkey. He gets at a certain place, and there's a little narrow spot, and the donkey can't go forward. He can't go to the side. He, he, kept, you know, he kept turning to the side. He can't go, and Balaam is whipping him, and finally God gives voice to the donkey. Why are you whipping me? I've served you. You keep hitting me. I've been a good donkey to you. <laughs> and Balaam says, I'm not hitting you because you haven't been a good donkey, but you won't go. And all of a sudden, God opens Balaam's eyes. He sees the angel of the eternal standing there with a sword. And God says, you're lucky your donkey stopped because I was going to kill you. And oh my, oh no, no, that's, yeah. Then he says, well, can I still go up there to see Balak? I mean, is it okay? You know, do you ever have people that they still want to do what they want to do? They just want to do what they want to do. And you can, you can say, well, I, I don't think you ought to. And they say, I want to do what I want to do. And you finally say, oh, you know what, just go ahead and do it. You know, no, I ain't going to fight you. I'm not going to just yell at you all the time. So God says to Balaam, go on. You want to go up, go on. So he goes up to Balak. Balak said, come on over here. Look, look at him. Can you curse him? He said, I got to check with God. He checks with God. God says, don't curse them. They're holy. You can't curse He said, I can't curse them. Look, I can't. Even he said, if you've offered me a whole house full of gold and silver, I can't curse them for you. They're blessed. I can't say whatever God doesn't tell me to say. So <clears throat> Balak says, come on over here. Come down with him with this mouth. Look, look at him from this angle. Can you curse him now? He says, I'll check again. He checks again. God says you can't curse him. There are poems that are between chapter 22 and chapter 25. Chapter 25, all of a sudden, you see the children of Israel now coming into the land of Moab, and what happens? They are invited. All of a sudden, come on in. Come to our land. Hey, you know, we're having a celebration. Join us in the celebration. And man, when we have a celebration, we have a celebration. We're going to have our beautiful girls out here, our beautiful women out here. Come on and join us. Come on in. And we're going to say, you know, we're just sacrificing to our God. Our God is Molech or, you know, King, King Maj. Or, and we're just sacrificing. And we have fun. We have joy. We have, boy, we have sex. We have everything. Get a part of this, man. This is great. So the children of Israel come in to Moab, and the next thing you know, what happens? God sends a plague. He sends a plague. They departed from the eternal. And what do we see down in the book of Numbers? Numbers chapter 31. So they made war. This is later. Now, later after this, you don't, you don't see it in chapter 25. 
chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. So they made war against Midian, because Midian was another one that they went to. Just as the Eternal had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. And they killed the kings of Midian, going with the rest of their slain, Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed, let's to the end of verse 8. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. When they came into Midian, when they came there, they killed Balaam along with everybody else. Chapter 31, dropping down to verse 14. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, who had come from the service of the Lord. Moses said to them, have you spared the women? Behold, these, listen to this, these women caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the eternal in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the eternal. So what did Balaam do? I'll tell you what, I can't curse them. But I'll tell you what to do. Welcome them into the land. Put your prettiest women, your sexiest women, get them out there, get those guys in, get them, tell them, make it fun, let them worship your gods with you, make it a fun time, have them come in and enjoy. And you know, I don't have to curse them. God will curse them. Because you're going to siphon them away from the eternal. When you siphon them away from the eternal, God will be mad at them and God will curse them. He'll send a plague on them. Thank you very much, sir. And so they grease Balaam's hand with the money. He does it. And his name has become in the New Testament, as well as the rest of the Bible, a proverb for a false prophet, false teacher, who for money will influence believers to enter into relationships of compromise and unfaithfulness. And he's warned by God to stop it, but he didn't. So they hired. Now you see in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, that God didn't want any Moabites. And I won't read it, take the time to read it, but you'll see it. I won't, because they hired Balaam to curse you. Well, Balaam couldn't curse them, but he told them how, to, how they could get the Israelites cursed. Siphon them away from their God. Make them compromise with their teachings. In 2 Peter chapter 2, having eyes full of adultery, verse 14. Balaam's name is mentioned in the New Testament. Listen to how it's made. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having trained a heart trained in greed. He's talking about false ministers, false teachers in the New Testament. Accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So he taught the children of Israel. He taught, I mean, he taught Balak how to make these people stumble, fall away from the faith. Jude chapter 1 and verse 11, the only chapter there. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. 
So there's what they did. God hates idolatry. God hates us to compromise. God hates us to, to be worshiping false gods. You know, Josiah, when he came into power, broke all the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram. Yes, he did. He, he was powerful to hate gods, I mean, hate uh, evil and idolatrous. Now we come to Jesus' warnings. What do you think Jesus and the Father hate? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 6. It's repeated in Mark chapter 9. It's also repeated in Luke chapter... It's three different places in the Gospels, in the, the Synoptic Gospels. You repeat this statement. Listen to this. Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, trip up, fall away, it would be better for him. Now, think of this. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck. Sound like a mafia thing, you know? They put the, the, the cement shoes on you, drop you in Lake Tahoe. There are probably a lot of bodies down there. Lake Tahoe is so deep, you know, probably preserves them away down at that bottom of that lake. It's a very deep lake. It's a beautiful lake. But, you know, Mafia had a way of putting cement shoes on people and sinking them to the bottom. You never heard from them again. Okay. It'd be better for him to have a heavy millstone around his neck and to be thrown in the depth of the sea, the deepest part of the sea. You got this heavy millstone. You know, they, these millstones were there to grind, to grind wheat. They were big stones. Samson pulled one when he was captured. You remember these big millstones? <clears throat> have this heavy millstone tied around your neck, thrown into the sea, your hands tied behind you, you can't get out of it, and plum plummet you down. And Jesus said it would be better for him. Woe to the world because of offenses and because of stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Stumbling block has to do with a trap. It's a trap in which you put your feet in and you get caught. And it takes you away from the right things. That's what Jesus is talking about. Woe to the, whoever causes one of these little ones, one of these believers in God, believers in Christ, to be siphoned away. And what, what did they want to do? What did the Nicolaitans, Jezebel, the people who followed the era of Balaam, what did they want to do? Eat things, go ahead and eat things sacrificed to idols. Go ahead and commit the fornication. Go ahead, it's okay. And siphon you away. Make you compromise God's way. And offend these, take these little ones, take them away from God, cause them to stumble and fall into a trap. That's what Balaam did. That's what he advised Balak. Brethren, <clears throat> I hate watering down of God's ways. But I hate just as much ratcheting up of God's laws. I hate adding. I hate churches where they add one thing after another and you got so many rules and regulations you don't even know where you like the, the Pharisees did on the Sabbath. We can't water 
down the scriptures. You know, the Nicolaitans, the Balaam, Jezebel, they were poster children for people who are compromising with God's law and compromising with idolatry. On the other hand, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the doctors of the law, they were poster children for people who ratcheted up and increased the, the burdens of, on the Sabbath to make the Sabbath arduous and, and difficult and painful and fearful. Sabbath and the holy days they made so intolerable because they had so many regulations. It was Jesus who struck the right balance. He kept the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He walked through the cornfields on the Sabbath. And when the disciples, not, the disciples are with Jesus, right? They are his disciples. He teaches them, he shows them. They had absolutely no hesitation. They had absolutely no fear in front of Jesus when they ripped up some of the grain, shucked it, and put it in their mouth. They didn't say, well, Jesus is going to get mad at us. You know how strict he is about the Sabbath. He doesn't want you to harvest anything or pick any fruit or pick any grain. He's going to get all upset with us. Now, they didn't say that. They knew Jesus. They knew how he looked at the Sabbath. They were going, where were they going? Through the grain fields. Cutting across the grain fields on their way to the synagogue. And they entered the synagogue right after that. And Jesus healed a man with a, with a withered arm. But the disciples, not once did they say, oh, Jesus is going to get all upset with us if we pick any grain. He didn't. He struck the right balance. There's a balance between being too strict and being too lenient. It's a balance between siphoning people away from the truth and the law and adding on to the law to make it impossible to bear. If you and I follow Jesus, we will not be led astray.